0: Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it.
1: 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all.
0: We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet?
1: So they concocted this plan to make a shelf in our library, like right above the door frame that goes all the way around the room. So are a you train. kidding me? I am not kidding you. So, so my I need pictures,
0: pictures, oh, got to yeah. Put
1: them on the website. Okay. So oh. here's the deal though. My son, my, my middle child is so smart. He has never helped us with these type of projects before because he doesn't really like he had, he traditionally hasn't really liked working with his hands. But this time he wanted to, it was really his idea. He wanted to do it. And he's such a math brain that he insisted on doing heavy pre-planning. Like he made a model, not a model. He's calling it a model. It's not really a model. It's just like on a piece of paper. He drew plans for it. He did all kinds of measurements. He used, yeah, it was great. And he goes, listen, if we don't plan it out like this, Then we get halfway through and we run into a snag and then we stop working on it, which is exactly what the oldest one and I have done on a number of projects, including building a full-size playhouse on our back. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I spent thousands of dollars on wood and nails and power tools so that we could have this joint project of building a playhouse. And we didn't think it through one single bit we we found some plans on the internet and we went through and we made it i got we got all the way to the roof and then and the roof is what did us in we couldn't we couldn't get up high enough on the thing we didn't have a high enough ladder and it's not in a great enough position we couldn't put the roof on it sat there for a year and then it was time for the bar mitzvah which we were having the party at our house so we had to and we had to take the whole thing down and we never finished <laughs> So the other one goes, listen, we're, not, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through right. all this work and give it up. So he planned it and boy, did he plan it with an inch of his life and it's going up and it's looking great. And I will send you pictures. Please, of what that it's all is, done.
0: Oh my gosh. Merry Christmas. It's Merry great. freaking Christmas.
1: Absolutely. That's fantastic. I have one other cute little story to tell you.
0: I, well, um, I, I told your, um, I told C's um, hummus story. Sasha and Chrissy and Tilly. Oh, how are you? We they? saw them from afar. Um we saw them outside. Uh they're amazing and they laughed so hard. Humble. It was yeah. So it, for people that don't know, I mean we've probably said I probably made you tell it like four times, but you but my version, this is how I tell it, is that um your daughter says Mom, what, what kind of stuff do they have to eat in prison? Do they have like bad food? And you're like, yeah, it's probably not that great. She goes, like hummus. <laughs> <laughs> they cracked up. Anyway.
1: She's, she's hilarious. So um, I was sick yesterday and she came home from the bus. Oh, earlier in the day, she had, we, I was taking her to school and this little girl had these really cute boots on these little, there's some, some UGG type boots. She's like, Oh, I love those boots. And I, and she had said something to me about it before. And I said, yeah, you know, I looked for those, but I couldn't, I, I don't see where they are. I, I, you know, I can't, I can't find any of the information for it. So she comes home yesterday. Oh, this is so sweet. She brings me a plate with sliced up bananas Um. Something else, and the little container of yogurt that she got in her lunch that she brought home because this is kind of sugary yogurt that I never buy for her. Tricks yogurt, and she covered it in Saran wrap, and she wrote me a note, a get well note, and it's a picture of the two of us, and it said, "Mom, get well soon. I love you." And you, and then it says at the bottom, "Turn over, turn to the other side." She goes, "I got the information about the boots." <laughs>
0: I'm telling you, she's
1: genius. She writes. You can get them at C O L. That's Coles, or you could get them at Coles or T R G I T. Get it, Target.
0: <laughs> she's genius. And she followed up her. this
1: morning. She goes, "So did you? Did you check out Coles?" <laughs>
0: she's hilarious. She's like, "Hey, let me run this by you."
1: Hmm. We've moved a lot. I mean, not as much as you, but we've moved a lot in the time that we've been together, 20, whatever years we probably moved, I don't know, 15 times and, or maybe less than that, but uh, between 10 and 15 times. And we, one of the things that we lug around from place to place is a lot of mementos, a box of mementos turned into two boxes, turned into two boxes each. Now we have kids, they have their boxes. So we're at the point where not only because of this for other reasons, but we have to store all the mementos in a storage facility. This is the dumbest possible thing i mean it also has furniture from oh okay it has furniture but like anyway we store boxes and boxes probably those plastic tubs you know the big plastic tubs we probably have like six plastic tubs that are of mementos wow aaron has you know the the little plaque he got when he won a tennis tournament in eighth grade is it's yes. like a lot of things okay yes. I've gotten better at paring things down. But then when you have kids, you feel like you shouldn't throw anything away because they're the ones who are going to be going through your stuff one day and who are going to be mad if you didn't save all of their stuff. Now, of course, you cannot save all of their stuff. But, like, what's your stance on mementos? What do you keep? What do you toss? What's, do you feel guilty about it, et cetera?
0: That's a great, that's a great topic. I um feel – Mixed, we have so yes, we've moved so much, and we too have mementos. Um, there's the Marie Condo, you know, that if it doesn't spark joy, but I don't really believe that. Um, I think people should uh do what they want to do on the most part. I don't subscribe to a minimalist thing, but I definitely feel like for everything you keep, you should throw out one thing
2: mm-hmm
0: yeah. so 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 that goes with clothes that goes and it is really hard now mementos are different because they have sentimental they have sentimental value, but I'm remembering having to go through both dead parents stuff and most of it is garbage like most of most, it of garbage. It, most of it is like a lighter that my dad had that, you know, was engraved with someone's initials that weren't his why he probably stole it from somebody. <laughs> but, um, but I was like, what, what, what? No. And, and it was a tremendous amount of emotional work to go through this stuff. And, um, yeah, I say, get rid of most of it. I get rid of most of it.
1: I mean, I think what it's about is, cause what, what I did with my dad is so when he died, I was is right before I got married. And he, so he didn't know that I got married or, or about any of my kids. So I think I really held on to stuff for kind of a long time because it just felt like I didn't have time to grieve or process or whatever it is. So there are certain things that I, you know, you have your stages, like things you get rid of. Like when Aaron's dad died, he came home wearing all of his father's clothes. Yeah. He had his, and they were all too big. Yeah. His pants and his shoes. Well, that stuff has started to, it's been about a year that stuff is starting to go away. So I remember the phases of getting rid of stuff. And it is something about like you hold on to this. The this, this stuff is like a placeholder for you doing your grieving. So it's like the more you do the work of, going through the grieving that's then you then you feel okay to get rid of the stuff. And the thing about with the kids is I know something that they don't know which is that the, the what feels so precious to them now is not going to feel so precious to them. For example, when they go to college or move out and and I say we need to go through this stuff now. We need to go through and figure out, you know, what you want and I'm sure that they're going to want to get rid of a lot of stuff. But they also want to keep like both boys did Taekwondo and went through their black belt and the trophy for a black belt is like as tall as a person. It's like five feet tall. Those are in storage. We went to storage to get out the Christmas stuff. <clears throat> and my oldest son, he picks up, he goes, this thing was really like a piece of junk. Like it's, you know, cause trophies are just made of plastic plastic, and, yeah. and cheap metal. Yeah. So I, that was like, Okay. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to get rid of this. That's a good thing. But with the smaller things, like really precious sentimental notes, oh, I, I feel like keeping But listen, not every kid or not every person writes a, a, a card that's worth keeping. I'm sorry to All say, right. but...
0: Right. You know? and, and what you don't and what and I think what you're doing is uh, it, by getting rid of the some stuff is w- what you're actually doing is making your kids job easier when we all croak. So if you think about it that way, like, I'm act- but they should be allowed maybe one tub each.
1: Right. And we they should have work. to we're gonna get against no, no. Well, they don't, they only have one tub, but then they have things like the trophies or the other things that they don't want to get rid of. Yeah. I'm feeling like what we should do is it is a annual or at least every few years going through, making sure that this is still so because it, it was only recently that the older two wanted to get rid of their schoolwork from kindergarten.
0: Wow. Like, yeah, they
1: really wanted to. And I, that's the other thing is like, if it is serving some emotional need, I,
0: you don't Before want to cut our,
1: it off. I don't want to cut it off, but I also don't want to. I, I know how it is with the whole storage facility. We got a storage facility that's bigger than what we need. We're just going to fill it up like right. a goldfish eating too much and filling up its bowl.
0: And then their stomach explodes. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But I was going to say something that you might do, too, is if you're into any kind of ritual is miles will burn um we will burn stuff in a in a like a goodbye stuff like um if it's sentimental letters and stuff now it, it, you know there's not Burning a kindergarten paper on, you know, our yeah. That's yeah. Uh, but yeah. but if there's anything, have some kind of ritual saying goodbye situation. Um, my sister and I, oh my gosh, when we went to, through the attic, there was a like a ten year period where everyone died, right? And so we had ten people's ashes. I'm not kidding you. My mother, my father, both three grandparents, my great aunt Ruth. It was crazy. So we didn't know what to do with all these ashes. We just dumped them in the garden. We were like, and we had a parade of ashes. We just had a ritual. We were like, goodbye. Goodbye, aunt Ruth. Goodbye. And then they all got mixed together, but we literally had those cremains of like, not, it was like nine people, but I was like, so you don't want, you don't want stuff to accumulate that that people, that the kiddos are going to have to just go through and be like, I mean, the ashes were, were fine, but there was so much stuff that I was like, oh my God, like pictures of people that you cannot name. Those gotta yeah, go.
1: Right. What about though? Have you ever f- thrown something away and then been like, oh, I wish yes. I hadn't
0: got rid of that. But you know what they were? It was bigger items actually. It wasn't sentimental stuff. It was like, my mom had this couple of chairs and furniture, it was more big stuff. And it doesn't sound like you have tons of big stuff. Um, it sounds like it's more sentimental stuff. Um, th- but I I mostly felt like that chair, I should hold it held on to the chair and some of her um, dishes and stuff like that. But at the time, I was like, no, it's got to go, it's got to go. Um, so the other thing that I would say is don't, um, for people is like, don't make any decisions when you you're in a heightened emotional state because you will save weird shit and you will throw out stuff that you will. So like, it's good that you go through it once a year, not in a crisis, not in a, not, you know, after a, a huge event, but at, 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 like when you like a regular checkup to the storage place. I think too, I just had this thought, what I should do,
1: especially with papers, take pictures just take pictures of papers. I can. I can even make a book for each of the kids. Like here is five thousand images of all the crap you wanted me to save that I didn't, but I took a picture of it. That so, is
0: brilliant. <laughs> you just thought of that. Brilliant. I just thought of that. Yeah. You're a Marie, Marie Kondo, Kondo in your own right.
1: I, I listen. Uh, pursuant to our conversation about my home decor, I'm like, let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it all. Like I have a china cabinet. I mean, come on. I. 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 I I mean I have China I have I have tried but I don't need to it doesn't need to be displayed like it's my prized possession you know well, what I mean it can just go in a shelf
0: I guess that that leads me to the question for you which and, and it goes back to our other conversation which is um do you think you just adopted that because it's what you thought you should do
1: it's 100% that because I yeah I I learned at an early age like I remember being on the younger side and uh, going through something, I forget what it was birthday old birthday cards and throwing them away. And my mom being like, you're getting rid of that. You know, she keeps everything. She keeps, she does. Yes. She keeps everything. (laughs) But I, uh, my middle child is my uh, uh, icon in this way at summer camp. You send cards, you know, you're encouraged and they like to receive mail. So I sent a lot of cards and he received a lot of cards. He comes home from camp. This is not this past summer, but the summer before. I said, did you get all the cards I sent you? He said, yes, I did. And they were so great. And on my last day of camp, I looked through all the letters that you and Gran and I gave him a kiss and I threw him in the trash. <laughs> And when he you said it, lie. I I had this pang of like, oh, you threw him in the trash. But of course, it served its purpose. The purpose was to give him something to remember us by while he was at camp. It then it was over. Then he was going to come home and be with us. He didn't need to hold on to it. He's not sentimental in that way. No. What about clothing? Do you hold on to clothing? No. No, I get rid of. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> oh, wow. I have my. I have my. I kept my wedding dress, and I kept, I I kept like a few of the kids very first onesies remember the onesies that you made that you you we made at your house i have the i have not all of them but i have some of those but yeah i don't get sentimental about clothing aaron does aaron has his high school varsity jacket and his yeah first pair of scrubs and his first doctor coat and all this kind of stuff
0: (gasps) wow Mm -hmm. do you go through your clothing and you're not a shopper you don't like to shop for clothes
1: well, I like to have clothes. I just don't like to shop for them. Yeah, no, I go through. I yeah, I will I'll have, don't forget if you were here, you saw my closet. We we have. No, I've never a, seen your closet. It's technically a walk-in, but not really. It very small closet. I have always had a very small closet. I've never. I know that if I had a huge closet, I would just collect a bunch of clothes. So it's kind of a, or and shoes. So it's kind of a good thing that I don't. So I, no, that's one thing we sort of keep under control. We. I throw out something maybe like once every week or once every two weeks. Wow. Yeah, I, get, I get rid of stuff, really. It's the other stuff. It's the stuff that I feel like I'm supposed to have because I have kids or I'm supposed to have because because really a, a lot of the other people in my life are very sentimental. Aaron's very sentimental. His My mother is very sentimental. My kids are very sentimental. So I feel like I have to keep all this stuff for them. But I really
0: don't. Wow. If I take a picture now, the China cabinet, was that a purchase that you thought I should have this because I'm an adult? Mm-hmm. or did you inherit it?
1: No, we were moving here from the city, and we were just both like, "Well, we need a dining set." And we went to the furniture store. It was the first time I went to like a real furniture store, and they had a matching dining table and chairs with the with a uh, china cabinet and a, uh, something else. i have got three big pieces. It's all crappy furniture. It was a waste, it was expensive and it was a waste of money because all furniture that's made past, you know, since 1950 is crappy furniture. Um, and I, I like your like, dining like, table. Well, it's
0: big, but it's, I love it's,
1: it. it's really like wobbly. and oh. it's, it's crappy. It's crappy. So I, I think I'm going to maybe after the holidays, get rid of the China cabinet. It's just this hulking thing. Like it doesn't give me any joy to look at it. It doesn't give, it's just like, here's where we put all the crap that we use on Thanksgiving.
0: (laughs) Right. It's more of a storage. It's not a showcase for anything special. What you need to do is get so many snow globes that then you've got it. You put those in there maybe, but that's a huge, you don't really need, maybe a different kind of case for the snow globes.
1: But something like that would give me joy. Some little bobble, something like that it's just plates and, and vases and, and somebody who is in my family has started a collection of something for me that I, I don't care for, but it's like, you know how it is. The person really wants to collect something for you and they pick something, they, they have something that they collect and then they go, well, would you like a different version of this thing I collect and you know and i remember saying once like oh that's pretty and next thing i know i've got my what she considers to be my version of her thing this is not my mother i have to feel like i have to say this cuz no, my mother no, be listening. this is not my mother
0: understood.
1: and it's it's stuff that i feel that i have to make sure is out for when this person comes to my house understood
0: understood like, i don't you know i think everyone is like dead in my family so i i i i get free from some of that like but i do there's it's a part of me that goes oh someone is thinking about you that's collecting something for you It just maybe yeah. they would ask them if they could collect you know i don't know i to,
1: to me that the collecting impulse i don't relate to it. i mean it, with the exception of maybe that i like these pretty snow gloves. I, I i'm not I don't collect anything and my mother collects everything. She does. She does. She collects. She has a China pattern. She has a crystal pattern. She collects, um, she's a big reader. So she collects books. She, um, yeah. Yeah. I remember,
0: I remember the house on Wayne, Mm -hmm, right. And it was mm -hmm. a duplex. It was a two floor. She had a lot of nice stuff. She had a lot of nice stuff. It is.
1: It's all very nice, but it's, it's stuff. It's a lot of stuff. And I'm just finding that I'm not as into stuff as I thought I was.
0: Well, I think the pandemic has done that to people too. It has increased for me. Anyway, it has increased my awareness that like, all this stuff is not going to save us from certain
1: things. I mean, not from nothing. It's not going <laughs> to save you from anything. And you have to clean it and you have to store it and you have to move it. And you have to, you feel for some reason you have to replace it if it gets broken. Like it's just a yoke. It's a yoke. <laughs> yes. and, and Aaron and I fantasize when the kids leave, we're going to get a studio apartment we're gonna have no possessions and we're gonna just do whatever we want that doesn't have anything to do with buying, maintaining, or storing stuff of any stripe.
0: That's brilliant. I think that is a great plan. The, my only caveat is please do it in California. That's all I have to say. Yes, sister. Yes, yes, <laughs> of course. That's I don't want to live in the bank. Cool. On I Survive Theater School, we have the Fancy Friends, Dave Dismulsion and John Huguenacker. I call them Fancy Friends because that's what they are. They are fancy, they work, and they work all the time, and they are delightful human beings. What do you think?
1: And they have fancy last names. (laughs) They are fancy.
0: They have fancy (laughs) last names.
1: When I was making the episode art, I'm like, oh, this is... It, of course, these two have to have the longest last names so yeah,
0: all the they really do we've ever had. was we'll calm Dave. But you guys have
1: seen, yeah, and you guys have seen them, I mean, not necessarily together, but um, uh, Dave uh, was his first film role was in uh, the Dark Knight So mm-hmm. he I would love to have him back sometime and ask about Heath Ledger. Because um, I bet that he's got a lot to tell about that. Anyway, so Dave has a mostly a film career. He's also a screenwriter. He has written um, a few films that are excellent, including um, Animals and uh, All Creatures Here Below. Two excellent yeah. films. And John is a lot, a lot on television.
0: He's a television guy. Uh, he was on Jack Ryan as one of the big, big leads. And he and they're in a, a, an outstanding film called Teacher together. So that's something to check that's out. Right. And the two
1: of them wanted to do the interview together because they're such close friends and they shared a lot of memories. And it was interesting to have, as it's our first duo, it was interesting to explore their their friendship as a way that they... Both survived theater school. Yeah. So please enjoy Dave Desmalshin and John Hugenacre.
2: You got to call her up again and ask her to do her. We will. It's, uh, we will. Epic.
1: all right. I'm going to make a note yeah. of that right now. Um. <laughs> anyway, congratulations, John and Dave. You survived theater school. Yes. I mean, barely. No, not barely. You guys, I think you both had excellent theater school careers, but I'd like to hear it from you.
0: Yeah. About we your just, experience. I'm so glad you're our first duo that we've had on today. So <laughs> the fancy friends. And I I wanted to um know about your experience like together as well as apart. But like my first question for you is did you love each other right away? I don't I don't know, John. Did you? <laughs> well no It took me a I'll while. Guys, it took me a Gina, while to I, warm I, up
3: to- I've known Gina the longest. And by the way, it's so good to see you. It's only been 20 years I know, um, I know like it. this. I mean, we've we've messaged and emailed a lot, but Jesus, this is amazing. Oh my God. Uh, so I was roommates with Gina and we were very close. And then I left school for a year. And so the school moves forward. Jen, you and Gina were in the same grade. You guys all moved forward. And when I came back, it was a whole new group of people to get to know. And John um, was one of the first people that I knew when I got back. So I felt very out of place. And um, it was hard to come into because it's such a competitive environment. And it's such a um, intense environment. And I was both competitive and intense. So to jump into the the fire with a whole new group of people to kind of, it's hard because you're posturing, you're sizing up, but at the same time, you're looking for connection, you're looking for support. And it's it's such a conflict. And John I'm not going to get emotional today. I swear to God. But it was like one of the first people that extended such a, a kind, generous. Since he's got that 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 inimitable. I'm a cuddler. Sincerity, which is what makes him such a brilliant actor. But he had that like look me in the eyes in class and like, hey, and he has a little bit of a draw. Like I'm really excited you're here and I want to get to know you and I hope we get to work <laughs> together. And then we went. And hung out at his apartment soon after that, and maybe smoked something. This is recorded. Sorry, John. And then we watched Star Wars stuff together, and that was our bond. So that's my version of the story. What's
2: your <laughs> version, I John? It? Um, no, God, we we had a lot of fun. I, I have old pictures of you and I and Aisha and uh, yeah, snuggling Genabah, um, oh, no. snuggling, and which I'm going to send you guys. Um,
1: yes, please do.
2: But uh, yeah, we uh. Geez, I just remember, uh, I remember Dave's um, ebullience from day one, his like drive and his, and his positive energy. And I think um, that is the thing that, that has, that has been such a, um, such a driving force in Dave's career um, is that he just never stops. It comes down to energy and positivity and he's constantly pumping that into the world. And I think, Dave has known for many, many years that, it you know, that that kind of stuff comes back to you. Um, And I think I was drawn to that in Dave. uh, Yeah. From the giddy up.
1: But did you also recognize somehow that he needed you to take on that stare you in the eye and and tell him you want to get to know him vibe? Did you know that he felt overwhelmed coming back?
2: Uh, I, I think from my perspective, the thing that drew Dave and I to one another was a sense that. You know, in the theater school, it, at the time that we were all there was such a um there was so uh, it was a lot of mindfuckery going on and there was a lot of um I think a lot of us in the acting track especially I know this was the case throughout the school wanted um positive reinforcement from teachers and sometimes I think my perspective was that people were manufacturing emotions and things to achieve that positive reinforcement and dave uh just seemed to be dave to me which i really really uh enjoyed and appreciated and um yeah and so i think that was uh, that was um it was it was dave's um his his sort of genuine vibe that that i was i
0: think both of you when i've run into you i mean you know i don't I live in California now, but I've seen you like at PR and Dave, I ran into you once at a Starbucks in Chicago. The genuineness is unbelievable. So I, I think you're both fancy and I'm sort of starstruck, but I, but when I, but there is this sort of both of you have this sort of face to face, like look you in the eye. I'm going to have an actual conversation with you. And I think that makes you not only great great actors but what's more important to me is great human beings and i um i don't know i'm just so glad you you guys found each other and that you're friends Thanks, you. like Thank you, you know, it's, that's how i feel about you yeah that's how i feel about being.
3: the the work and outside of our mutual passionate love for the theater acting film um storytelling character creation cinema history literature like john and i did kick it off immediately with a lot of of um you know kindred kind of passions for things which we all shared because we all were in that 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 vortex um and obviously we were drawn there because we had a passion for this stuff but um you know i've been through uh the ringer in my life outside of my acting career as well and 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 john was always one of the first people to show up and be there for me when i needed someone as well which was you you're not taught that in the it, again for, this is about surviving the theater school you're taught um that you're in the ensemble family mode during rehearsal and it felt like kind of um during a production but then it was right back to you know, this really intensely bizarre, like John, I mean there's no better, I guess, adverb than mindfuckery of um, and and it was it was a. Um, I'm very grateful. Um and a many great true friendships came out of that time because when you go through something that intense and that trying, but we um we we I would love to tell a quick story if I can because we were kind of we weren't kind of we were absolutely fuck ups we were in trouble a lot um because it's no mystery that I had a pretty intense substance abuse problem in college, and John had a pretty serious attitude problem in college and uh neither of us dealt well with authority, although we loved being directed, which has always been a paradox with us, like we love great directors that get in and like help guide us and shape things, but at the same time we are the first people to you know get our backs up sometimes and i um and i remember john and i were so frustrated that some of the people like he he, there was this this feeling of like posturing or presentation that always felt inauthentic to us and we wanted you know we're in chicago we want to rub real dirt on our faces and smash glass and we're gonna get in there and and we were doing a, a, a scene together from um uh, Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross for um, second year uh, scene study work with Joe Slowick, And it was so intense. It was the Moss Aranau scene at the Chinese restaurant. John is just needling into me to like, you're going to, you're going to get in on this heist or I'm going to ruin your life. And we loved, like we got into that so much. It was all space work and we're in generally John and I were in, I was either in rave clothes or John was in some tie dye Bob Marley thing. And, um, <laughs> And so we had this big special guest coming to the theater school who was going to do a scene study uh, workshop and it was F. Murray Abraham. And um, I'll never forget, they were also excited, big fans. No. We go, they did it at a separate location on campus. And... It was where, it was where we had right. yeah. History of Dramatic yeah. Lit,
2: I think. Where uh-huh. nobody
3: cheated. And he... Um, <laughs> he goes... <laughs> He blew through the scenes that he was working on so quickly and he was getting frustrated. Like, stop with the bullshit. Stop with the, the presentation. Like,
2: let's work these. And he was also, he was also like not giving, like, he would give a really incisive note and yeah. then he'd be like, all right, now fuck off and do better in life. <laughs> yeah. And that was he, it. He, he, he didn't want
3: over preparation. He wanted this to be like a malleable, Play Doh y kind of moment where we could. So we were not part of that event john and i were just sitting in the back row probably zo- like just like whoa this is so cool dude like that's a marie marie doing seats and he looked to the crowd he's like is that all you got because they had prepared i don't remember four or five scenes for him to work on
2: yeah it was like it was like well it was like two from each classroom and and then we had like a break and the teachers were kind of looking around at each other oh, like well that's shit. all i had and Dave, that's all i yeah, got dave you went uh, – Yeah, Sloic
3: turned to me and John, and Sloic goes, you guys. You, you, and I was like, can we do it, John? Can we do it? You know? And John's like, yeah, let's do it. We had no prop prepper. Everyone else is in costumes, and they've got their props. And John and I hopped up with uh, – we, we made do, right? We got a bottle that we brought from someone else's scene. Yeah. Some cups. um, And we jumped up there, and we did this – we did the scene where F Murray had recently done the piece or he was familiar enough with it that he could kind of jump in and, and do it with this. But I was so proud that day of, even though I knew what F ups we were. And even though I knew that I was, I knew that the work we were putting into and the discipline and the, and the, and the love we were putting into building these characters together and how much we loved playing off one another was, I knew in that moment, this is something I'm going to do with this guy for the rest of my life. And sure enough, we've gone on to do, films two films together outside of school we continue to collaborate um i knew in that moment though i was like this guy i'm holding on to him for the rest of my acting life
2: dude i I want to i want to jump in because that was such a that was first of all that was it was an amazing experience and we were like we were like greyhounds just ready to run and and we were also we didn't realize that so i'm gonna we talk about surviving the theater school i don't know where to start but more importantly, I don't know where I should stop. So you guys got to shut me up. <laughs> um, so so uh, I ran. I got that bottle from my roommate who drank Jameson like all the time. So I ran across because we were in Seton Hall, not Seton Hall, but uh, Sanctuary. University right across, yeah. Sanctuary. And I got the bottle and I came back and Dave and I were getting ready and we do this. We do the scene. And I knew we knew that F. Murray was going to just like give us a note and you know, dismiss us. So he gave us this note. And the the one thing was I had been breaking up this paragraph that I was given to Dave, you know, kind of feeling my way through it and kind of schmacking. And he was like, you know, this David Mamet gives you all of the direction you need with the punctuation. It's like Shakespeare. And you need to just drive through without taking a a break because that's going to give you more payoff at the end of the at the end of the scene. And Dave and I looked at each other and we just started doing the scene before he could dismiss us. So we jumped right into it and he had gone through all the people in our class that had been put forward. He had gone through upperclassmen and that was the first group. Dave and I were the first two that had the audacity to just jump, take the note and jump back in. And when when we finished, he was like, that is preparation. And he, <laughs> do you remember that dude? Because he turned around, and you and I were like, "Up top, motherfucker!" That's why, goddamn it, that's preparation. We would cut <laughs> us now, motherfuckers. Yeah, I it love that. So good.
1: I love that. So I love that because what you're telling me in that is you each made a decision. And our company is called Undeniable. So you made it. You made a decision to be undeniable. You made a decision to not let him. I'm sure everybody would. I, I, I'm not sure anybody else in that situation would have been willing to get up and go on and not let him deny you, not let him interrupt you, and and you were like 18, 19 years old, which yeah. is like even more. So you you both mentioned mindfuckery, which is a very evergreen theme on our podcast, and I would love to hear a little bit more about as you look back at this time in your life now. Uh, and you imagine, because some of our professors were probably the age then that we are now. What do you make of some of this? How have you reconciled some of what you now consider to be mindfuckery? Did it feel like mindfuckery then? Or does it just look that way in the rear view? I'm just going to,
0: a caveat, a quick caveat in that I teach at the theater school. So, um, I and and I, um, I'm trying to change the culture there a little bit. And so... Um, I, I just always am really hyper aware that, like, we want um say whatever you want. That's what I want oh, to say. Oh, we will. Say oh,
3: me want. and John will Okay.
0: I just, I, I know the you will, but I always like
3: to... The Vincentian brothers called in the legal team, man. They're coming. Because
0: <laughs> sometimes, sometimes people are like, well, I don't
3: know. No, no, no. You're talking I, to John and Dave. Okay, great.
2: Don't worry about it. Okay, no. John. So,
0: right. yeah, go yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Mindfuckery, well, what's it all about? John,
2: you go, go. first, because I know what I'm All right. Yeah yeah yeah. Um I've no idea what I'm going to say. We're on a journey of discovery here. Uh no, first of all, to your point Jen, I like I know John and I, I admire him greatly. I feel like there's got to be five of him in the planet to achieve all the stuff that he's achieved. And the theater school of today bears little if any resemblance to the theater school that Dave and I and you guys uh attended. Um and that said, I don't feel like uh the mindfuckery that I um Felt I I was uh, that I received was the result of uh, some jerk ass cadre of teachers sitting around in a circle and being like who can we fuck on you know who can we shit on today I don't think that's how it was I think the difference was there was a a, str- a greater focus on academia at that point it was like just giving your life to an institution and 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 a philosophy and an approach to doing theater that was. Uh, At that time, intensely cloistered, um, didn't allow us to kind of step outside of the school. And we all, uh, to a certain extent, kind of knew what we were signing up for when we came on board. I had been in ROTC when I was in high school. Um, I had competed in debate. So I had kind of dealt with a lot of that stuff at the beginning. And I just kind of felt like when I was at theater school, as Dave said, I had a real attitude problem because I was like I had to take on a lot of debt to go to that school. Um, my family came together and did everything they could to help me. But I, I graduated with a lot of debt. Um, and I kind of felt like, you know what, this is, I'm paying you. But like, we get to have a conversation about this. I'm, I know you're the, I know you're the pro. I know you've been doing this your entire adult life. But I have questions. And I feel like I'm due an answer and a considered answer. And you don't get to just shut me down because I asked a question and I'm 19 and you're 54. Um, because I'm here taking on a lot of personal debt that I'm going to carry into my adult life and you owe me answers. Um, that, that's just, let's just call that an, an opening, uh, Sally and Dave, you can sure. go for Sure. I bit. felt
3: like, you know, it was the perfect place for me to train. The culture was uh, utterly complicated, complex, filled with nuance, lots of gray area. It came from a tradition steeped in some really uh, important and impressive theater movements that were more um, militaristic and disciplinary and really um, intense. I'll always be grateful for the tools that I picked up in the theater school. To this day, save me on an almost daily basis on sets because the awareness it gave me of my body and my voice and you know the depth of my psychology to be able to solve problems on the fly and repeat you know, emotional recreations um, was really important. I will say that there were conflicting philosophies and approaches, which is, I think, very healthy. One of the things I loved was that nobody said, this is the theater school way. It was like, here's the Joe Sloak way. Here's the Bell Itkin way. Here's the David Avcali way. Here's the Rick Murphy way. You go to these classes, you see what works for you. You see where you're doing the best work. And then you have to grow up quickly and you have to be prepared for this dog-eat-dog World of the arts that you're going to be thrown into once you graduate here, there is no, you know, um, kind of kind or gentle or entirely psychologically easy way to prepare somebody for the 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 the, the meat grinder that is a show business. And so, for all those reasons, I was incredibly grateful. I think there were there was a lack of oversight when it came to. Um, mental wellness with some of the faculty, and I'll always um, hold them responsible for the fact that they allowed sexual relationships between professors and students. I think it's entirely inappropriate for people in that kind of power um, in their...
2: It's unbelievable when you look back on it. It's just just When I
3: think back on the fact that I knew there were teachers that we were meant to listen to and respect and regard and trust with our deepest parts of ourselves... Who were seducing and having sex yeah. with students? That breaks my heart, and and I I I I would tell them that to their faces today if I could see them, but I, I hope they'll watch. Um, and I also think that uh, that there was some abusive behavior um, that I'll never understand, other than they were human beings who um, you know who were just people that um, were. Uh, that, that, that did, that did some things that made, I, I like to, I like to believe that they thought they might've been helping push us or, but some of the things that were either said or done, I go, man, that was, I can remember sitting with Gina one time. And I mean, I, I'm a pretty emotionally <laughs> fragile guy, but I was like on on the verge of, of tears of, of something that had happened with one of the professors that we both really admired, but also we both really kind of feared and, um, and it was just like, why? But but in all, I'm grateful because I'm not one of those people. I'll run into people from the theater school who are just carrying so much damage from that time. And I'm so grateful that when I look back on my time at the theater school, in all honesty, it's with a lot of positive. It is. It, I really go, wow, that was an amazing experience. Yes, I have anger, frustration, pains about certain things that happened that I can't believe happened. but. I do feel, I feel like it really prepared me for the world in which I'm working now.
2: I totally agree. And I, I you know, I look back on that time and I kind of feel like uh, what, you know, I, I when I look at things that ha, that I feel like have gone pear-shaped and that I was a part of, I always try and think about what, what could I have done better. And for me, I look back on that period and I think that I was not uh, emotionally mature enough or perhaps mature enough in general to take on board everything that I could have learned, uh, as an actor. And I'm talking about like, uh, technique wise in that program because I was so emotionally just kind of bombarded with, so, so much of it is, is subjective in the, in the beginning. And we're going into a career where, um, you may go up against four other people in your type, or maybe not in your type who are phenomenal actors And you may get that job or you may not. Um, And there could be any number of reasons why you did or you didn't. And kind of trying to prepare a child. And let's be honest, if you're not in the master's track, you're still a child um, for the realities and and the emotional rigors of of what could end up being a, a career and a full life doing that stuff would be the greatest act of compassion that an educational center could impart to a child. And I feel like the theater school was like, that wasn't even a thing. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, not understanding why, you know, th- everybody probably makes the case of like, Oh, gee was I was so talented in my hometown. And then I went to the theater school and I was like, Oh my God, everybody's talented. What am I going to do? But you still in class with folks, uh, you know, all these hours a day, all these days a week, and some people are uh, become darlings, some people do not. Some people back then um, were kept on after the first year, after the second year, and some people were not. and there were there were there, there were like major head scratchers about that. like to go back and to have completed two years and to be respected in the eyes of your peers and presumably in the eyes of your teachers. And then to get that, that letter that, you know, maybe this isn't for you Uh, to be able to, to make that determination in another person's life. And in that way is just, it's, it's astounding that that was what we signed up for. And I'll tell you, I remember, I'll never forget that was not really made clear. Um, Prior to coming to the theater school, like actually sitting there on the first day, I remember sitting uh, cross-legged on the floor and listening to Bridges kind of talking. This is the greatest city in the mind of God, and you know, and just being like, you know, some of you will graduate, most of you will not. I remember like, wow, that's that's pretty intense. I like I was not so clear on the whole half of you are going to get cut the first year, and then mm-hmm. half of the remaining are going to get cut the second year. That to me was like deeply uh, ingenuous, disingenuous, because what was really happening, and again, the school is a completely different school now. They've dealt with this stuff. What was happening was they were bringing in free labor that was actually paying them shitloads of money to be free labor, and then kicking them to the curb. They, I think, had a pretty good idea at Audition which of these four kids were actually going to make it to graduation. Mm. And, and I think we had some idea of that, but we were literally pitted against one another. I'll give you one example and then I'll shut up and let Dave go again. Um, We did uh, an intro in second year called laughing wild. And it was by Christopher Durang. And it's a two person. It's a two hander. It's a man and it's a woman. And what they did was they cast four males and something like nine females and the director never set the lines so every night it was literally these kids who still had not been invited back for their third year and could still be cut what the? in a fucking verbal knife fight every this night this is fucking crazy yeah And, you know, it was the director, like, I still had really long hair at that point. Pierce had, Jason Pierce had really long hair. Uh, Brian Sharp had really long hair. And I think it was Hunter. uh, Andre. Andre? Andre. Um, And it was kind of like, Ilko didn't really like our long hair. So it was like, you guys all have to look the same. That's what I'm going for. So we all got our hair cut. And then we commenced to, like, fighting over these lines. And what we ultimately did was probably pretty cool to look at, but it was also a hot mess, um, you know, because he's damaging. damaging. Yeah, totally. Damaging. Yeah. yeah. I,
0: I mean, I, I think it, it begs the. So I, I guess the bigger question here for me, and in, in, I don't know what you, you guys think, but um, that at 17, should we be doing this? I, 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 I really, I mean, I know for me, I'm, I'm grateful as hell. I went there. I was, I was cut and then asked back it was a weird thing. I got a letter and then another letter. And then, um, so as a 17 year old or sick, I was 16. Like this is so much mind inherent in the system. And the, the, when we went there, I mean, we're all glad we went, but like, man, kids, I don't know that we should be, if I would, if I had a kid, I, I don't know that I would want my kid to be in, engaged in a verbal knife fight at 17 with Hunter Andre. I, I'm just, no. I, I don't know. But, it, whatever that's that's a big I, I mean i yeah.
3: wouldn't put He's... my kids though on the track right now to be actors because of that but the real the harsh reality is that the business of theater and the business of film and television needs 20 21 22 year old actors so to throw them into the best training you can at 18 19 20 21 it sucks but it's also like it's 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 an exceptional calling to choose the path of the artist. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's more, you know, not to be, you know, uh, whatever ridiculous about it, but it, 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 it is like, it's, it's so, it's such an unfair, the world is so unfair as we know, Jesus Christ, turn on the news right now. The world is an unfair place, but the arts are so unfair. And it's like, if someone's going to, it's, it's such a complicated question. Cause I do think like, Right at like 18, maybe. That's the earliest. If my kid said, Dad, I want to do what you do, I'd say you do as much community theater and high school theater and drama as you can, speech, debate, blah, blah, blah. I'm not taking them to a damn Hollywood audition until they're 18. Um, and, and if they want to pursue it, I would want them to go study and train somewhere like what the theater school is now, you know, at 18. But... Uh, yeah. And
2: yeah, it's really tricky. complicated. It is. Yeah. I will say it's that, you know, you know, I was, I was just going to throw this in when, when I graduated, I got a job working at Chicago Shakespeare, which was started like a couple months after graduation. And I got on stage with um, Kevin Goodall, Lisa Dod- Dodson, Greg Vinkler, Brad Armacost, um, all these amazing uh classic classic chicago actors um stalwart chicago actors and it was the first uh it was the first show in the in their new space um so they had all these great people in the cast so i got so lucky to be you know a messenger in that play um but that was when my personal education in the theater like really started Mm -hmm. and that was when i saw like these titans uh, kind of dealing with the humdrum rejection of, yeah, I went for another one of PR, I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, but it went to blah, 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 and he's a great dude, which is a thing I've always loved about Chicago. It's like, you know, you get to a certain age, it's always the same folks in the room, and you kind of are cheering for everybody. You sit in that waiting room, especially PR, and it's it's always a reunion of friends. Um, But I, I so when I talk to people, parents of, child actors on sets who want to know what I would advise them to do. If these were my kids like Dave, I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of like, you know, if they are still interested in this when they're 18, I would take all the money that you've saved for college. If you've saved any and just fund their apartment in Los Angeles or Chicago or New York, like start them off when they're that early, because they're four years ahead of the rest of the pack when they graduate, and they will have spent that four years learning at the feet of actual working professionals,
1: yeah, well, the truth is when somebody wants to be this from the time they're five years old, which probably all of us did, there's no stopping them. I mean you're, you're, we we've heard stories of of parents saying, "Please don't go study theater, please do something else, and they're gonna do what they're gonna do but so let's bring it back to when you guys decided you wanted to go to a conservatory for college was that something you knew all along did you figure it out later how did you pick to paul for me
3: it was it was a it was the it was fate it was um, you know I, it was truly fate i mean it was a, it was like a miracle of god and and to me god works through teachers it was the power of teachers i um, my parents were a mess throughout my you know junior high and high school years where I was very much on my own in a lot of regards and I was a high functioning um academically you know in the in the in the in a good tier um, but I was really uh excelling in both speech and football. Those were kind of my two strengths coming through high school and I didn't see the path towards um the academic dreams that I had for college um, in in speech or acting or drama, for God's sake, but I did through football. So my dream was going into my senior year of high school, I was going to be as yoked as possible, play the best game I could play, get us to state, get a scholarship to go to a better school than I could go to that I knew was at my hands with the amount of money that my mom and I had. And with that scholarship, I was going to try and become a high school football coach who, who ran the drama club. That was my dream for myself. Two teachers, my speech coach and our drama teacher said to, sat down with me separately and said, you have something. You, we will help you if you're, if you're afraid of, of applying to like arts programs or theater or following a track in drama and hearing that was uh, mind blowing and they did. They helped me do the research. I looked at SMU, NYU, and DePaul. I did a regional audition, and then ultimately drove up to Chicago. And my audition was in front of John Jenkins and John Watts. I'll never forget. Um, I was there in cutoff jean shorts, a tie-dye Janis Joplin T-shirt, and uh, my football socks. And there was a bunch of kids in leotards and jazz shoes who knew what they meant when they were saying things. I did it. My, my monologue was completely wrong. They said, don't do a dialect. And I did a, a scene from Equus. And then they we said, don't do a dialect. And I luckily remembered, does a tiger wear a necktie? And I just threw that out there and it was fate. It was God. It was whatever you choose to believe. But then I got a letter uh, very soon after that. that And I was miserable thinking about playing four years of college football. That's important to note. I did not want to do that, but I knew it was a means to an end. My brother was a collegiate athlete and I knew the demands of that and that that was going to be my life for four years. But for me to get the education I wanted, it was worth it. Um, And I got the, this letter that not only had I been invited to participate in the theater school program, but I had also been given this, um, this, this huge scholarship uh, called the Stanley and uh,
2: good for you, Dave. We're all happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: my story. I am. That's my story. I'm done. <laughs> what
3: about you, John? As John just finished the story about the buckets. Of, hey, by the way, I left school with a massive amount of debt as well because my scholarship did not cover living expenses. That's why I had to leave theater school for a year to go. Dave, yeah, Dave
2: wanted to live in a four-bedroom three-bathroom
1: um, house <laughs> no.
3: so it was in, wasn't, in you know, los angeles you know, yeah. we all, we we all it was not what was our landlord's name what was his name Earl Earl. was yeah.
2: lil the, was lil the place that was like right around the corner from healing earth resources yeah. yeah. but yeah. like we yeah yeah that's the one where like a couple like uh, or an adjacent building had the uh the deck collapsed, yes, right? Yes, it was very close to there. Yeah. yeah, and and, and the, the, the tanks.
3: Remember the space time tanks, John? The floating tanks? What's that? Didn't we go do that together once? The
2: tanks, the the the, the deprivation, the sensory. Deprivation. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, sorry, John. Yeah, yeah, it was right there. One of the oldest ones in the city is right there. Yeah. Thanks for um. um thanks for uh, shitting on my. No, terracle, dude, I'm John. no I'm so happy. happy <laughs> I was so happy for you for getting a scholarship to DePaul. That's great. Um. Good for you. Um, I didn't get a scholarship. I, uh, no, we, no, So I totally, very similar story, except I was not going to be an athlete uh, ever. Um, I was in, uh, I was uh, in speech and debate in high school. I had not done theater since I was a child, like a younger child, uh, because I got um, braces. And my dad, who was a a local actor in Charlotte, um, was like, there's no, there's no market for a kid with braces. So then I was, um, I think in about 10th grade, I started competing in humorous interpretation, which Dave, do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I did really well in that. And so then when I got to, uh, senior year, the drama teacher and I had never taken drama at the theater, at the, uh, high school, you know, she would, uh, she would accompany the speech team on debate trips. She reached out and she was like, Hey, you know, if you want to take this class, you can take the senior level drama class. And she and my speech coach, uh, Barbara Miller said, you know, you should, you should check out some theater schools, see where you can study. And we, I looked into like uh, a Juilliard I was really interested in because I knew that Robin Williams had gone there but I think it was more expensive to audition there. And I somehow missed the whole boat on, you know, I think a lot of people, I know Kelly, my wife, um, auditioned at, uh, in Chicago, but for a bunch of schools all at once. Mm -hmm. Like the
0: Urtas or the whatever. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, and I, uh, I came in like late January, early February, uh, and we stayed, it was going to be a big deal for my family. So we stayed at the Palmer house. Um, and I went and I, again, like, like Dave, I was surrounded by all these kids that just seemed so focused and so like tuned into this world that all of a sudden seemed very foreign to me and completely unattainable. And like, I was just completely a fish out of water. And, um, <clears throat> And I did, uh, my, my, the, the drama teacher had given me a monologue that was, you know, going to be probably like, does the tiger wear a necktie or something, you know, appropriate for the locate, for the venue. And I didn't, you know, I, we had done, um, a musical called Runaways and there was a, uh, monologue in Runaways that I thought, what well, it just really spoke to me. It was about a, a young kid whose mother had passed away and he was kind of like just mourning her. And. I remembered my drama teacher being like, Well, it's your life. Good luck. <laughs> and um and I came came to the school and we did the whole like they led us through warm ups, which was bizarre. That was Patrice, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and then I did my monologue for like Betsy, I believe, and maybe John and possibly Bill Brown. Um and uh and I left completely dejected. And I told my dad, I was like, Well, that's not gonna happen. Um you know, a- <laughs> which is so
0: I have to interrupt and say that everyone we talk to, I am not kidding you. Every single <laughs> human I've talked to says I left that place after my audition feeling like, well, I don't know. I think I bombed. But no one I've talked to has been like, I nailed that shit. <laughs> and I mean, and I think they that's, got
2: well, that's you know, it, uh, that's so uh, indicative of the way like the vibe at the time. The teachers weren't like they weren't there to coddle you. Right. And be like, good job. You really nailed it. You've really got a uh, chance. Here. Yeah, I think you're gonna go places, said no DePaul teacher ever. <laughs> um No, no, no. They I'm certainly certainly they do now. But uh but yeah, so we left and I'd forgotten my watch because you know you had to like all of a sudden like I don't I think I just barely remembered to bring sweatpants or something like that. Um and, uh, so I forgot my watch. So my dad was like, I'm sure you did fine, bud. And so like the next day or whatever, he calls Melissa Meltzer and he's like, Hey, Melissa, I'm wondering, if, uh, did you guys find a watch? Um, cause John, he lost a watch. You didn't, you didn't find a watch. Huh? Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you. And then she was like, so how does John feel like he did? And my dad was like, "Oh well, he bombed it. He he didn't feel like he did very well at all." Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to make sure we got that watch before we go back to Charlotte. And uh, and she was like, "Yeah, he's one of you. Know, we're sending out a couple uh, car, a couple letters of admission right now, or whatever acceptance right now, and he's one of them." Oh, um, wow. And I just could not believe it. And uh, oh, that's awesome. And so, yeah, it was it was really really great. But again, I had no idea what I was signing up for, because if it wasn't DePaul, it was going to be Appalachian State um, or Community College in Charlotte. Because, I mean, I had I had uh, I was in AP classes and I had done well on my SATs, but I was not a focused student otherwise and uh, didn't have the scores to get into state or Carolina or any of the vaunted uh, universities in my home state.
1: So, according to my research, you guys did at least two shows together uh, at the theater school. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Um, was it, I got the blues? I got the blues and Peter Pan.
2: And Peter Pan, and we did. <laughs> yeah. We did the.
3: Uh, we did the um, uh, uh, Glen Gary Glen Ross scene together, and then our senior year, when we were all very frustrated with the with the with the with the plays that had been mostly there were some really cool plays that were selected for our our fourth year but we were we were frustrated collectively john his wife kelly our friend denizak a, a whole group of us got together and we put on our own production of Wojciech. uh we worked together uh uh doing that uh outside of school and performed at a coffee shop nearby because we were um determined to do challenging work that was going to actually give us a chance to to do something. So yeah, but while we were it, those first four years, and then in the year since, we've done three things together, probably or four. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. teacher was amazing. Teacher was a good. Friend. Thank you.
3: Thanks. Yeah,
0: yeah I really like. I was it.
3: so I was so excited when um, we got John. Uh, it's just. Putting him into anything is going to elevate it, as you guys know. You watch any TV show, any movie, any play—you name it. John comes into something; he's going to elevate it. But I knew that that relationship—I needed that, that character that I played in *Teacher* had nobody else to ground him. He had nobody else to cling to. He had nobody else to like, to 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 to, to you know. Make me feel any sense of of my the character's much needed humanity for the audience to get on board with him in those moments that John and I got, and John did a lot of stuff that magically woke up. It was a great script, but man, John took it to the a much a greater level. with just which is the magic he does? He did the same thing in Animals when I said, well, "You've got to please be in my movie, please." I knew what he would do, and sure as shit, he did it. He walked in, and everybody was just like. I mean it's one of the best scenes of a movie that I'm very proud of. It's, you know, a 90-minute film filled with scenes that I love, but that is the scene I've probably gone back to uh more than any and I go, "God, yes. I, I'm really proud of the writing I did there, but what he did with little nuanced moments. I I've, I've learned a lot watching my friend at, on stage and on 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 set and I will continue to. I also watch everything he does obviously because he is my friend but also because he gets to do a lot of really cool stuff and um but i learn a lot i learn a lot from from you john
2: i feel the same way about you man you i i gotta say dave has always been an inspiration to me because of as i mentioned at the beginning of our talk because of the positivity that he puts out into the world and dave you know as he mentioned earlier uh went through the ringer with substance abuse and um I think it's less than seven percent of people uh, who who have been where you were uh, ever come back. Um, and so, to be one of those people who not just survived but who thrived in an already incredibly challenging industry um, is just absolutely astounding. And to and to continually go back to the well and create, be a a force of creativity and, you know, your own engine and guiding your own ship um, while being, uh, you know, a partner and a father is um, I I feel so lucky that I've gotten to lean on you for inspiration and to call you for advice. And I'm,
3: or, you know, it's, it's wonderful. Like it's, I'm so grateful. And that's another thing. I'm so always thank God for the theater school because of, John Hoganacker and, and and so many people that have been instrumental in my life. And I think it's important to note too, as far as the friendships that that were forged in that time, um, you asked earlier too, there was some, obviously there were some teachers that taught me some wonderful techniques and skills, but also really hurt my heart in some certain ways. But that was, it wouldn't be fair to to neglect and not point out that like, I'll never forget if there was one person who actually did take time to try, I felt like in her way to teach us ways of coping was Phyllis for me. She talked to me a lot about meditation. She introduced me to some books that were really instrumental to my journey. Um, and like really wacky, like psychedelic stuff that I was really invested in thinking about at the time and really cool ways of trying to process depression. I didn't, I wasn't diagnosed at that time and I wasn't getting the proper help that I needed for my depression but that was really i', I I'm so grateful uh, as well as you know the encouragement that someone like her showed she was a needed angel at the time for me um in a dark place um and bridges I mean I know he wasn't um you know uh faculty he was staff but that guy um recognized and saw some stuff that no one else was willing to Address in my self destruction, and he showed up for me way outside and above and beyond the 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 roll call of whatever his payroll
2: was or required of him. And, and his door was always open. And as a side note, he attended your wedding, I believe, yeah, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he attended mine down in Alabama, yeah. and Dave's was in California.
3: Yeah, He's, uh he he was he, he for all of his shit giving and making fun of and and sideways remarks. There was underneath that this deep concern and love for the students that um, when I needed it most was there for me and is, is a dear and close personal friend to this day. Um, oh, I'm all over the place now, guys. My brain is spinning. The coffee's kicked in. I'm getting emotional, but I'm thinking too about like, you talked about when we first did plays together and I'm just having all these flashbacks of me and John, like I smoked cigarettes. John did, did not, but we would go out back sometimes when we were at, um, like on the fire escape at the, at the, at the victory gardens where we were doing, I got the blues and we'd, we'd talk about the stuff. It's like, God, just doing the shows was actually you're right. That was probably the best education we ever got, was just doing the work. You
2: can hear it. So yeah. you can hear it in Dave now, like some of the exuberance. But he was this guy when we would go back and, and we would be out back and, you know, he'd be smoking and he'd be talking about like, Johnny, Johnny, I love you, brother. I tell you what, man, we are going to fucking do this shit. And one day we're going to be so fucking big. It's all going to happen, bro. It's all going to happen. And you, you just, uh, you just can't wait, man. I love you so much. It's gonna be so great. And I would just be like, I just want to survive. Fucking school And, but, but he has made, like the dude
0: has made it. Happen. He sure happened. He, done he sure it. has. Wait, I have a question. I have a Oh, go. You want to go beans? No, you, you go ahead. Okay, I have a question about that because I'm always fascinated by two things: the sh- the show quote showcase experience in Los Angeles for people. <laughs> <laughs> As, I don't know why, I just love that because the stories are so. Mine was mine yeah. was insane. I, I thumbs I, down. I, yeah, thumbs down. thumbs down. I had a, a run in with John C. Riley that did not go well. And then, oh, no. and then I know
2: that's the one negative interaction with John C. Riley.
0: That, and I had it. I had it. And then um, also resilience. Those are the two things I want to cover before we before we get out. Um, but my my question is about that showcase. What the hell was your experience I, like? I'll go. Mine's
3: quick and easy. I was so strung out by that point, you guys. I was literally scrambling to find methadone clinics in Los Angeles and New York where I could go get doses so I wouldn't get sick from withdrawals. That that was my top concern. I. <clears throat> did a scene with uh, Whitney Sneed at the time who was, we were doing this, 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 this really fun horror scene together that I thought would be a good showcase for LA, but um, I got no interest, no check marks from anybody. And then, and then luckily uh, somebody invited me. I got to go over and, and go to, to Universal Studios for the day. And I got to go to DreamWorks, which was cool for a minute, but it was completely unrelated to my audition. It was because, somebody had invited me to go over there. And that was, uh, that was my big, that was my big, that was Ah, my big, it was, it was, it was terrible. And I was very close with John at the time, but we, nobody knew. See, you guys got to understand. I didn't tell, it wasn't like John or my friends, they knew something was wrong with me, but it wasn't like,
0: Hey guys, I got to
3: go score. I was very good at hiding my suffering. And which is what made it was so devastating. I know for John and Kelly and my friends who immediately came, you know, like when I wound up in Kansas after I bottomed out in Chicago and they would come see me, he was just like, would say things like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And I'm like, how could you? I'm, that good of an actor
1: (laughs) yeah i I lived with him and i i didn't know either i mean you know
0: sorry well but that that oh sorry that was my that was my showcase experience okay (laughs) yours and mine similar okay yeah
1: Oh, Um, what about yours john
2: well uh yeah it was denizak and i were scene partners and um we uh no 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 I can't remember.
1: You guys did scenes. We just did monologues. We did monologues,
2: yeah. D- Denizak and I went later for a separate um for a separate event when we were like young oh, actors right. in Chicago. Um but but yeah, when when I got out there, I you know, I did the thing. I didn't get any like there was no love um for me and it was you know, it was uh I mean it was nerve-wracking to do the thing cuz you just you're telling yourself at that point it's like all right well if it doesn't happen here <laughs> i guess i'll just you know back the pump and gas or you know whatever right. and um Kelly and i had started kind of talking to each other um i had like literally had seen her uh outside of the theater school one morning while we were all gearing up for uh for showcase and was just admiring her Uh, and Denizak saw me admiring her. And then he got, he did this thing that only Denizak does where he's like, dude,
1: (laughs) what was that?
2: And then, uh, Shana, like around the same time was like, you know, I really like John and I want him in my life, but I don't want to date him. one of you girls, it should be you, Kelly. Cause I think, you know, Ogden was uh, maybe with Lisa at this point. Um, but, uh, so somebody by our two close friends had kind of, you know, pushed us in that direction. And by the time we made it to Los Angeles, we went to a house party after, you know, the audition day or whatever the showcase and John C. Riley was at the party, which I remember distinctly thinking was super cool. Um, uh, although the party just felt like, like we had all told ourselves, like what L A was. Oh my God! Um, at that point, I forgot about that and party. Yeah. So I, Kelly I, and I, I, I were I met like
3: up with those Russian girls. Do you remember that at all? <laughs> my, drug, oh my drug stuff, and I brought like two oh Russian God. girls to that party that didn't even speak English. Do you remember that at all? That's
2: hilarious. Oh no, I see so because Kelly and I were there for like I'm not joking for like they were fifteen twenty minutes. Right, and then minutes. You took off to go to the well, hotel. And we took off. We were like, this is not, this is whatever. This is gross. I don't want to do this. And so she and the girls had rented a, um, had rented some uh, convertible. And we went for a drive to see the Pacific Ocean because Kelly had never seen it at that point. And so we're standing there in the dark overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And I'm like super like shy when it, you know, when I was dating back in the day. And Kelly looked at me and was like, now is when you kiss me. (laughs) And and so the best thing for me that came out of the theater school is my relationship with her. Um, And, you know.
1: Relationship with me. Yes. (laughs) That too. Well, you know, Dave. She's right here, so I had to. (laughs) Talking, Dave, talking. I always
0: liked her. I always liked that woman. Oh, I I did a lot of scene
3: work with Kelly. We never got,
2: she's not really right here. You guys can stop.
0: Oh, I really like
2: her. (laughs) She's the best, man.
1: So Dave talking about our apartment brought up a bunch of memories for me that I had forgotten about and I'll just share one of them with you now that is really touching my heart. Um so the thing about you is that you always possessed yourself as an artist from I mean despite it sounds like you were experiencing a lot of depression and despite problems that you had, you one of your strengths in my mind has always been a complete no conflict or ambivalence about being an artist, and you taught that to me. And I never uh, did any type of visual art in my life until we lived in that apartment, and all of a sudden I got into drawing. And you were so um supportive of I'm getting emotional oh, my uh, you cried you were so supportive of me and and I remember thinking oh I am an artist too oh, oh so God. thank you for that
3: i the nights we would sit up doing like continuous i was so fascinated do you remember we we got really into that trip on like trying to connect our thoughts and connect our creativity together and connect our imaginations together and i was so so like into that idea when we would sit up late at night we'd put a fire on sometimes and we'd get the big piece of paper and we'd do continuous drawings together and you just start working and we were there was a creative uh, g- g- thing that was going on with us that was so rewarding and you contributed to the fledgling press which i still have we we published our own little zine out of our apartment um that i would use the DePaul copy machines to get free print and then I distribute them all over. Do you remember Bur- William Burroughs, editor, found one? Yes. Once, and, and we g- I got to go down and, and meet Burroughs. And, and all of us, people who were like, oh, I don't write. And I was like, well, but
2: mm-hmm. – and you did. Mm-hmm. And we did.
3: So I'm glad that you have that memory. I, um, I, lo- I think about that stuff often. In fact, I was just – I still have – it's right in my filing cabinet right here, all those old fledgling presses, and I was thinking about those days. And I – it's hard when you're a survivor of um, near near death addiction and and depression because it's easy to just go, that was that time. But we know that it wasn't and it wouldn't have been what it was if it had. And I'm, there were, t- even in the midst of that abject suffering, which came much later, by the way, it was really into the fourth year and that God, that year after I graduated when I the candle finally like caught up with itself, and then I just melted, but um that stuff uh was so clutch, man, and like the improv-ing group that we would do at Finley's and like just mm-hmm. playing together, Gina, like um
1: I forgot all having about those that crazy
3: musicians film. come play like their bongos in our living room, and <laughs> <laughs> trying to like. <laughs> spontaneously create poetry who knows like it was, great. It was great. great
1: we we had a we had a party one time and it was so cold outside and i guess maybe we had no heat that we hung blankets like in front of our door to try to create warmth and people came to our party and all they could do is sit down and be under jackets and blankets <laughs> because it was <laughs> like 20 degrees inside of that apartment <laughs>
0: i mean we survived and i i, I think the, the resiliency factor, and I get, you've talked a little bit, each of you about, you know, maybe the, that you were in, was it, who's ROTC and that you played sports. Where does resilience come from that you guys keep going? And And sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes, but that I'm, fascinated by resilience so there are so many times in our lives where you each where all of us could have been like you know what nope bye i'm not going to be an artist anymore i'm gonna or where does your resilience come from do you think stubbornness hmm.
2: um you know I, I, it's it's super hard and and um i look at my career and i think about that how lucky I feel that I am, uh, and grateful I am that I've been able to cobble it together and to make a living. Um, but you know, there are times when things are slow. And for me, so much of, uh, so much of your, uh, sense of self-worth is tied to your ability to, uh, provide or, uh, contribute. Um, but I think at the end of the day, uh, it's seeing myself, as an artist and as nothing else um and being stubborn to the extent that i'm i'm not i'm not willing to let that go in the way that i'm not willing to cut off my feet and try to learn to walk again you know um it's just it's who i am it's a part of me i
3: i i feel the same and i know john you know expressed this in john and kelly met at such a young age but when i met eve it was like we're in for the ride then it's there's years where we're going to make twelve thousand dollars there's years where we're going to make two million dollars there's years we're going to make no you know it's like this is and, and 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 i'm grateful that i've got the partner who goes of course or you know john gets the call monday you have to go to you know uh Quebec to shoot a movie for two months. And Kelly goes, okay, let's figure it out. This Eve does the same for me. So we're very, I have an incredible partnership. I have the stubbornness, you know, John and I have that shared kind of like, there's no way I don't give it. If I got told 99 times, no, I always believed in my heart that that was getting me one step closer to the yes that I needed. And I always tried to look at every moment and opportunity as, and also I think the gratitude that for me personally, which is different, um, than John, but having survived nearly dying and coming back, my trade, you know, when I got my life back, I said, you know, God, I'm all I'm going to do for the rest of my life is smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. I promise I, I, if I can have an, and and if I could just have an apartment and a a TV and a VCR and I worked like regular jobs for a couple of years. I mean, I knew John at that time when I wasn't even acting again. And, um,
2: let me tell a story about you
3: real quick, bro. Cause I'm going to start crying
2: when uh, Kelly and I, we had a lot of Dave's uh, belongings. Like we had taken them on board when Dave um, crashed and had to go home to Kansas, um, Missouri. Kansas. I was on the
3: Kansas side, but I was right there at the, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and uh, we were going down there to see him and we went and we took his stuff. and We only got to see him briefly. And he was uh, beaten, but he still smiled. And the next time I think we got to see Dave was at Webster Place, and he was working at Webster Place. And what was your job you were doing there, there at that time? The
3: popcorn on Five.
2: Yeah. I was every Theater Five. Can you clean
3: the popcorn spill in Theater Five? I was a DePaul Theater School graduate with a BFA in, in the polyester pants with the name tag, grateful to be making $11 an hour. Um,
2: yeah. And the, and guys, the, the energy and the positivity you see coming out of dude right now was the same when he was standing there with the little dustpan on the stick and the, and the, and the, you know, popcorn around his feet. Like that was, that was all there right then. Um, such a powerful, powerful force, man. Thanks, man. Thanks. Um, gratitude yeah. is,
3: um, just can't stop. And I'm so grateful for you guys. I'm John, you know, I'm, I'm all, all three of you guys. Um, Jen, you know, you were there because you knew personally outside of all the theater school stuff, my, my therapist and the, this, the, the, psych- the counselor who helped me when I was in the mental hospital, Marie. Gina and I were there when, uh, when I was a baby and <laughs> John put my diaper on and cleaned my little bottom and powdered it up. The big <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm, I'm, gratitude is the best is such a great fuel for art because even when we go to the darkest places and we have to, you know, inhabit really nasty skins or really creepy characters that you think, how am I going to, how am I going to find any love within this? I think for anybody to connect with them, um, love is still, it's so important and it's such an important part of storytelling. And so for me that, that gratitude, um, it's fuel. Um, so thanks guys. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for today for certain
1: Boz, What did that I I know we have to go, but what did that bring up for you just now?
0: Just like the idea that when Gina and I talk about this a lot about the fact that our shame, the things that we think are so shameful and so ugly are the things that connect us to each other in such a deep way that if we can if we can sort of um not deny the fact that we're all connected in this way, especially having gone through the theater school and stuff, but even just human beings that um, we can take the shame and turn it into something beautiful.
2: Oh, is, I totally agree. It's
0: a huge gift.
1: Amen. And our, Amen. Uh, aim to
2: draw us closer for sure.
1: Well, we, so, we Thank you guys. This is the yes. greatest
0: thing. I- I'm like, now I'm like, wait, wait, our podcast has to be. At first, I was like, our podcast is just Dave and John. And then I'm like, okay, that that can't be a podcast forever. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it could, but so that's their own
2: podcast. But there's a whole other have, side like, of John, artists- John and
0: I that we didn't get to do <laughs> Well,
3: what if there's, there's like two podcast? artist friends?
1: <laughs> we will have to have you back. We will have to do a part two and three and
0: four. But thank you so much. Thank you, it has so been fantastic. Much. It's so wonderful, and 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 everything that you are right. You said at the beginning, John, that like the stuff comes back. It comes back. Maybe it's twenty years later. Maybe it's thirty years later. Maybe it's five minutes. But the things that you two have clearly put out into the world are coming back to you in a way that it just makes you shine. And so, shine on. That's all I have to say.
2: You shine on. Thank you so much, you guys, for allowing us to be here with you together. That's super, super cool.
0: Thank you. you Have a good day, everybody. Love
1: you. Bye. Bye. I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at UndeniableWriters or on Twitter at Undeniable W-R-I-T-1. That's undeniable right without the E1. Thanks.